host. Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Sophie. Welcome back to our weekly podcast. We've done a lot of great topics over the months. And I think, you know, each time we do one, it's more important to me than the next. So that tells me, I think, that we're really hitting topics that are pertinent and telling and helping because I see them every day in everything that I do. In my own life, I see it in the work that I do. So it's got to be helping you guys, and I hope it is. And I'd like to hear back from you if it is, if it isn't, what you would like to see differently. But in general, we've talked about a lot of great topics, and I think today's topic is a very prevalent one, especially in these days of economic times that are really a little bit rough, people that not able to have the means that they may have been used to in the past, not being able to maybe do the things that they wanted to do or care for their children in a way or have to make changes within their family structures, school changes or eating at different places or not able to automatically go out and buy either clothes or whatever it is, those changes have an impact on everybody, especially children and families as a whole, but also as individuals. And I think one of the biggest issues that I run into and really check a lot into is that silent killer within a family from the mental health perspective of any suicidal thoughts or suicidal ideas or suicidal behaviors. That's what we're going to be talking about today, suicide and suicide prevention. We're going to be looking at some of the triggers and learning about the signs, and we're going to talk about the ways that we can prevent it. And we have a wonderful, really well versed and talented expert with us today. So stay tuned and give us a call, 1-855-SOPHIE-NOW or 1-855-767-4966. Remember, every caller gets a free copy of my book, Side by Side, the Mother-Daughter Conflict Resolution Book, and who doesn't need that besides boxing gloves? So give us a call, 1-855-SOPHIE-NOW or 1-855-767-4966. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. As I said earlier, suicide is oftentimes looked at as a silent killer from the mental health perspective because it doesn't really always have to be out there so that you can really notice it and do something about it. And and it is one of the most devastating events in any family that I know of. And so today on my podcast, I am very honored to have a very special guest, very versed in this topic, a really wonderful national leader in this he will tell us more about himself and all of the things that they do to to really get the message out there, to really be able to give resources to people and to a place for everyone to go that needs some kind of support, somebody to talk to or some guidance to be able to work themselves through this. So, Dr. Draper, are you with me? I most certainly am. Thank How you for you? having me, Dr. Sophie. Thank you. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? There's a huge introduction I can give to you, but, you know, the simplest and most effective, I think, is that you are the director of the federally funded National Suicide Prevention Lifeline Network, and I am proud to be a part of that. Well, we are so proud to have you participate as a supporter, Dr. Sophie, and it, it's a very critical program. In fact, it's a national network of crisis call centers across the country. So when you phone uh, from anywhere in the United States, you'll be linked to the nearest of 154 crisis call wow. centers to you. So if you phone from Los Angeles, you'll get the local Los Angeles center so they can help you link to the most uh, available resources to you in addition to their call center. Services. It's a 24-7 service. It's free, wow. and it's pretty great. You can reach it at any time from anywhere in the United States. And that is 1-800-273-TALK? 
Yes, or two seven three eight two five five for Got those it. of us who don't have phones that have digits and letters on them anymore. And, and tell some of my listeners what would they? Why would they call? Do they have to really feel like they want to hurt themselves, or do, you know who? Calls? Well, it, you know, we'd love to catch people upstream, not necessarily at the edge of the waterfall. And about seventy five percent of the cases when people phone the lifeline, they're not in suicidal crisis. So about twenty five percent of our callers are, and many of them are seriously suicidal. But it's never too early to seek help. If you're in crisis or you're concerned about someone else, you can call us at any time. Listen, everybody, you don't have to be wanting to hurt yourself or, or being suicidal actively. You can just be in a crisis and need some direction, right? That is absolutely right. And when you call, there's a trained person at one of these crisis centers will be picking up the, the phone, and they'll be listening to your problem. Uh, they'll assess the nature and severity of the problem, and they'll see what is the best kind of help they can give you. They'll listen to your, your situation and see if they can offer some suggestions. But often they can provide counseling and a good listening ear, but sometimes uh, appropriate referrals as well. That's great. And they are resources and referrals within the person's community that they're calling. Yes, but you know what's really terrific about this 24-7 service is that uh, there's been federally funded evaluations of it to show that when you call, it effectively reduces ah. suicidality and distress. So it's, it's a pretty great deal to have a free service that you can phone at any time that research has shown can effectively reduce suicidality and emotional distress. That's wonderful. How do they measure something like that? Well, in this case, what they did is they took a sample of centers and they, they assessed the caller at the beginning of the call, the end of the call, and then the researchers followed up with them three weeks later. Uh-huh. So, they, so they found that at the end of the call, they were doing much better. They were less suicidal and less distressed on every measure of the scale. And then when they phoned them up three weeks later, they were actually doing better. In oh. fact, uh, 12% of the suicidal callers said uh, just spontaneously to the researchers, you know, that call saved my life. Wow. That was all very encouraging to us. Now, I have to say, we also learned some things that we could do better. Uh, and as a result, we've established national suicide risk assessment standards and other policies that have helped improve our practices. But we were very encouraged by those results. That is great. And people were really able to say that that call saved their life. Right. And, and in fact, uh, some of the other services services that are provided by a select number of our crisis centers, what we call follow-up calls, where they will, uh, if the person is at higher risk, they'll offer to call them up and, and over a period of time check on them and see how they're doing. Uh, research has shown that those calls, too, have reduced suicidality. So when people have gotten those calls, they have reported to the researchers that those calls either helped a little or a lot in terms of keeping them alive in over 90% of the time. That's tremendous. And, you know, I would imagine anybody calling in, it takes a lot of guts to pick up that phone. And then after that, you might want to drop the ball and say, hey, I already did something, or maybe I feel better for two or three days, and and you kind of let it go. But I think the follow-up call is a great idea because it really keeps it forefront for that person. It does. And, and, you know, let's face it, one call isn't going to fix everything. But what is also true, interestingly, is, and and you know this, Dr. Sophie, from working with people occasionally in crisis, that when all is incredibly dark, you feel completely hopeless. And you you see no way out. And there's really nowhere to go but up at that point. And, And so when you get a listening ear, some support, some validation and and some assistance in a timely way in that moment and you come you begin to come out of the crisis and all of the the, the kind of cracks of light 
tend to come into those dark places, and over time, you have what's called a virtuous cycle, where things just seem to get better, and you begin to notice so many more things getting better. So it's sometimes that care in that right moment that really makes a difference. It's also important to remember that that moment is very important, because in some cases, if a person has access to to lethal means to kill themselves, rather than picking up a phone, that they forget that there's a tomorrow. That's right, exactly. And, you know, when you say validation, let's be clear, you're not telling people that how they feel and what they believe is absolutely right. You're hearing them, you're validating that they feel that way, and you're starting to go down a path with them to explore it and figure it out. Right. Validation doesn't say it's a great idea to kill yourself. Validation says what you're feeling is very real, and I understand your suffering. I understand your pain. And part of suicidality is believing that that you are completely alone and trapped in your pain. The moment Uh somebody begins to understand how you're feeling and how you're thinking, you don't feel alone anymore and you feel less trapped. Right. And that's that key that I think is so important for listeners to hear, that that validation point where someone acknowledges that they understand that you can feel the way you do is a huge first step. That's right, Dr. Sophie. You know, the, the, it's, it's, I think for a lot of the listeners, the, they're, they're asking, you know, what can I do? And one thing that you can do is you don't, you, you don't have to talk somebody out of feeling hopeless necessarily. You don't have to tell them that everything is going to be all right either. In fact, don't. What, what's really important is to say, I hear you. I understand. You're not alone. I'm going to listen to what you have to say, and I'm going to do whatever I can to get you help. Great. So that takes me into my next question, too. Can you tell us a little bit about suicide? I mean, you know, some of the statistics, and, and how, do, how do people get themselves to this point? How does this happen? Well, that's a great question. Uh, you know, over 36,000 Americans each year die by suicide, Dr. Sophie, and that's, you know, nearly twice as many as people who die by homicide wow. every year. And I, what's even more prominent are people is people thinking about suicide. We have, you know, really uh, about one in thirty adults every year thinking seriously about suicide, wow. and over a million actually try to kill themselves every year. What what I think is disturbing, obviously, to all parents out there, is is that the group that is most likely to think about suicide are young people, particularly high school. And why is that? Let's let's have people try to understand because it, that's sometimes not understandable to many people because they say these are young people in the prime of their life. Why would they mm-hmm. think that? Oh yeah, I used to really chuckle when I'd hear adults say, you know, what do you have to worry about? Right, you know, when I was exactly. an adolescent, exactly. you know, your your yeah. life is easy. Wait right. till you get to be an adult right. and you have all these responsibilities. Exactly. What what they're forgetting is that what an incredibly sensitive period adolescence is. You know, you're switching your dependencies from your parents to your peers, uh, and nobody gives you lessons on how to deal with your peers. Nobody is giving you lessons on necessarily how to deal with the pressures of academics. In fact, your parents may actually be adding to those pressures. Exactly. Nobody really talks to you about how to deal with, with the new relationships you're forming. And and also all those hormonal changes, all, all of those things which transform your appearance and, and how you're physically feeling. Nobody's really coaching you about those. Health classes don't necessarily give you coping mechanisms. They just describe what's happening, but they don't necessarily tell you, you know, how to deal with the feelings around it. So it's basically peers trying to help peers, and, and it's blind leading the blind. And, and there's not a lot of, you also think about that period of life, both, you know, cognitively, the way we're, we think in right. the phase of life. There's a, in, in adolescence, there's kind of a black and white way of thinking. Eventually, 
yes. you can develop the capacity to think more abstractly and see gray areas. But it's either all good or all bad. I mean, how often do you hear an adolescent say, you know, my life is over Absolutely. A- after after they fail a test? Absolutely. Um, or there's a breakup with, with uh, you know, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I will, no one will ever love me right. again. Or a divorce. Or a divorce. Absolutely. Yes. Or their parents, their parents divorce and they'll say, you know, my parents don't love me right. anymore. So, so there are these, you know, catastrophic ways of thinking that lead them to believe that there is no road ahead and they don't have enough life experience to teach them right. that, hey, I'm going to get through this. And make a judgment. Absolutely. So what and, you... and, if so if and, and so that kind of leads to impulsive acts. And if, in fact, there are you know, weapons or things that are, that are available to them that, where they could hurt themselves, they do. In fact, they attempt suicide more than any other group. But what is, I guess, the good news is there are many fewer of them that die, uh, mostly because that, you know, adults and people who care about them say, oh, my God, what, what has happened? We've got right. to help. It's a very high-risk period, but it's also not, they're not likely to kill themselves. What is really important is I think we need as a society to, to put as a high priority providing you know, coping skills training in health classes, teaching kids about right. how to deal with difficult feelings and how to diff- deal with some of the relationship issues that are going on. That's part of health classes is, is really socio-emotional health. Right. I, yeah, exactly. The emotional and mental pieces of that. They forget. Yes. They just tell them about their hygiene. Right. So what, right. what do we say to parents who are listening to this? They say, well, how do I know if I should take my teenager seriously? Or are they just we'll always take them up? seriously. And, and that is, you know, that, that you, you never have anything to lose by not let, let them say, hey, come on, mom, I'm just kidding. But just say, you know, well, I, I just want you to know that if you're feeling really bad, you can talk to me at okay. any time. Now, of course, the thing about adolescents is they they really want to talk to you on your schedule. Right. You know, it, right. and that's important. Is that if, if you're going to say, you know, I want to sit down and talk with you, Bill? Um, they're like, oh God, here comes another talk. Right. But if blah, you're blah, if you're blah. always talking with them in dialogue, then it's going to come out when you maybe when you pick them up from school or you're right. you're driving to a baseball game, uh, or it could be two in the morning when they can't sleep. But you got to be there and ready, ready, willing, and able to talk with them when they're ready, willing, and able. And I think it, this goes without saying, but these kinds of things, these seedlings are planted really early in childhood and parenting and, and building that connection. But it's never too late, as you say. And we should be able to have these connections with our children on their time frame, especially if they're teenagers or adolescents. Take them all for serious. All right. How about we take a uh, voicemail or two from some of our callers, and then we'll come back to talking about this. Sure. All right. Hold on. Hi, Dr. Sophie. I was calling in about your subject of suicide. I had a question, and I wanted to know how do you tell the difference between if someone is really serious about suicide or they're just doing something to gain attention. I have, my first instinct is always that someone is just doing it, saying it for attention, and I don't want to feed into that um, attention-getting um, need, but then I always second-guess and think, you know, what if they're serious? Are there certain symptoms or signs or things like that that you can look for so that you can tell if someone is actually serious? And if they are doing it just for attention, do you ignore it? Like, that's my instinct is just to not feed into it, or is that, do you need to give them attention? Um, so that's my question. If you could answer that, I would be so grateful. Thank you. That's an interesting question. I would imagine, Dr. Draper, that a lot of people are caught in that space where if you do give 
deference to your child or whoever it is saying, you know, well, tell me how you feel or you, I hear you, then you might get pulled into something that becomes a pattern. What do you, what do you do? A really, really important question. I, I think that's a very common concern yeah. among people and may be one of the things that stands in the way of people actually listening to and talking to people who may want to kill themselves. Keep in mind that about 70% of the people that actually kill themselves have told someone about it. So always take it seriously. Now, that's easy for me to say because I'm in this field, but it's really hard for a number of people who say, well, what do I do? And I'm afraid that I'm going to encourage this negative behavior. But remember two things. One, that people who are even seriously suicidal at some level are ambivalent. They're not sure. Why? There's a part of them that just, they just want the pain to stop, and they don't know how to make it stop. And they may kill themselves because they don't believe there's any way to make it stop other than that. But, wow. but a part of them wants to live. I mean, the, the, the number of people, in fact, I mean, the highest rates of suicide are among people who've tried to kill themselves. Uh, 7% of the people who tried to kill themselves go on to die by suicide. So we don't say these are, these are manipulations. But what's important to remember and encouraging to remember is that means that 93% of the other people who tried to kill themselves right, go right. on to live their lives. Does it mean that, they, that all 93% of those people didn't really want to kill themselves? No. In the moment, they did. Right. And what's sad, Dr. Sophie, is that many of the, of the folks who have killed themselves probably were saying in that, that last thought, and we've talked to so many attempt survivors about this, uh, when they thought they were going to die, they thought, oh my God, what have I done? There's so, I'm sure, so many silent questions and screams that will right. never be heard because people died. And, and that ambivalence, we never, we're never able to give them that chance. So number one, it's just be thankful that a part of them wants to live. And so don't think that's a manipulation. So that's number one. Okay. And then number two, if that is an attention-seeking device, what they're basically saying is, I'm in a lot of pain. I need attention. It doesn't mean that you need to fix it. It means that you need to help them find somebody who can help them deal with this. So because they're, they're su- reaching out to you. Right. If suicide is, is their way of coping and talking about suicide is their way of coping with pain, then guess what? That means they need other types of coping skills. Exactly. And, and you're not necessarily going to teach them that. That's what, what trained professionals are there for. So you say, I'm going to get you some help. Right. So if it's your child or, or your teenager, then get them connected. And if it's a friend, definitely reach to them, support them till they reach to their doctor or whoever they're going to do. Right. It. Always or take it seriously, protection. listen to them and try to get them help. Or calling 1-800-273-8255 because there is help there, right? Yes, 24-7. All right, let's take another voicemail and see what they have to say. Dr. Sophie, I had a question about uh, suicide. And uh, I have, uh, from time to time, I've had a friend or two or an acquaintance that threatens suicide or they say things like, I just shouldn't be here anymore and things like that. And I've always heard that if people talk about it, they're not serious. They're actually just looking for attention. Is that true? It's just, you know, I would hate to hear someone say that and then they go forward and commit suicide and I never did anything about it or called anyone or said anything. So I just wanted to know how you handle those situations. That's interesting. What do you think? This tells you how common and how important it is that we address this issue on this show right now, Dr. Sophie, is that a lot of people are struggling with, you know, what do I do? 
You know, and I think there's two sides to it. I think there's there's also it's the, kind of the Pandora's box issue that that if I indulge this in some way, if I if I ask them about it, then I'm going to have to do something about it, and I don't know what to do. Right, it scares them too. Yes, it is scary, and I think that's the other thing that aside from hey, I don't want to I don't want to indulge them and encourage them to keep coming back to me. But here's the good news: is all you got to do is listen and say, this is bigger than you and I. I can't make you feel any more hopeful right now, but I guarantee you that there's help out there, and I'm going right. to be with you, and I'm going to get you help. Right. And, and again, you can pick up this. I mean, this is the beauty of having this 800 yes, talk number. Yes, it is. I mean, you can't beat it. I mean, if you really don't know what else to say, you can always just say, say let's, let's phone this number. Exactly. And again, for some people, they might say, I don't want to do that. I, I want to go talk to, you know, my minister. I right. want to go talk to my coach. Find out who they're willing and able to speak to in addition to yourself. And, and, and don't leave it alone, because what we understand is that suicidal ideation is, is a symptom of great emotional distress. Just pay attention to the distress. You don't have to fix the suicidality. Let them know you're thinking and, and, about them and you care about them and you're going to get them out. Right. And I think that's a key point that, you know, don't feel the pressure, anybody listening, that you have to fix somebody's suicidal wish, ideation, pain, but you need to be able to at least reach to them, hear them, and connect them. And here's a wonderful number to connect them to. And that will then take them on to another and further connection of 1-800-273-8255. How will we take a live caller? I think on, on the line is uh, Mary, and Mary, you have Dr. Draper and myself. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. My question was, when do you, when you have a young child who says that they want to kill themselves, when do you take it seriously, and when do you realize that it's just a cry for attention? Great question, not? great question. Dr. Draper? Go for it. Mary, Mary, this is interesting. We were just talking about this, and, you know, we, we were listening to a couple of voicemails. I just want to say that your question and concern is extremely common, and, and it's a very, very important question because it's the same question that about two other people asked already. And I think what's important is that you should note that you always need to take it seriously. What, what they're telling you is that they're, they're in a lot of pain and they can't cope. They don't know how to cope, and especially younger people. I mean, nobody has really taught them how to cope with psychological pain. So they're saying, all I can think about, and this is very common. I was telling Dr. Sophie earlier that, um, that the highest rates of thoughts about suicide and attempts in suicide are in adolescent populations. Yep. This is not only common among, you know, this age group, but your concern, therefore, is very common among these age Like, when should yeah. I take it seriously? And again, the answer to that is always, and it's not necessarily to say, I know you're suicidal. It's, I know you're in a lot of pain, and I know you can't cope with this, and I know that you're feeling hopeless and helpless, and you don't know what to do. And if you don't know how to help them, that's okay, too. What you need to do is then go get them help. And you say, we're going to go do something about this together now, because you, you've got to learn how to cope with this. And now, I'm going to help you. Do you think, Dr. Draper, that a lot of parents, and maybe, Mary, you can say what your thoughts are, that they possibly feel guilty that if their child is even saying this, they feel it's been a failure on their, their end of the parenting process. And that might get in the way of them really wanting to jump to go get them help because they're trying to figure out what did I do wrong. I think my concern is not wanting drive him to, you know, the ER, I think he's suicidal, versus do I take him, you know, 
Does he just need some treatment, like therapy? Like, mm-hmm. how seriously do you take it? You know, the first thing is to sit and listen to them and see what's going on with them. And you can ask them. You say you're thinking about killing yourself. Are you thinking about how? You know, if, if there are any, this is also a very important question to ask yourself, too, is are you aware of anything that they have in their possession or in your home that they could hurt themselves with? Um, firearms, for example, you know, if they have access to pills or anything like that, that's that's something that you need to ask yourself. That's yeah. very, very important because uh, that needs to be removed, and you need to tell them you're going to remove it because you want to keep them safe. You should ask them, tell me, are you thinking about how you're going to kill yourself? And if they're thinking about it along those lines, if they've got a plan and they say they're just not going to be able to make it through the night, then certainly you can think about taking them to an emergency department. But what you also can do is just say, let me, there's two other options. One is you can phone the lifeline, 800-273-8255, and, and just say, let's have a talk with the folks on the lifeline and let's talk with them about what's going on with you. What you're doing there is you're not only getting immediate help by getting a sense from a third party who's expert in, in, in working with people who are suicidal. You don't have to go to an emergency department and ask them what's going on. But you're also modeling for your child how to get help, and you're showing that this is a – you can make this call too whenever you want. And and they can also help you make the decision as to what you need to do in that moment. Certainly you want to follow it up with making a, a clinic appointment as soon as possible if they're not already in, in treatment. Great. Thank you so much. That's so helpful. Thank you. Great questions. So tell me something, um, Dr. Draper. If it does happen and someone does commit suicide, what – what can the the hotline offer people that have gone through this then are is there resources is there connections and referrals for families and and survivors of this kind of a situation yes there there are and you know, I'm also going to give you a couple of other resources for that that you yep. should be aware of. Um, we work very closely with and are advised greatly by uh, groups of lost survivors as well as attempt survivors uh, because they have great interest and insight into the kinds of work we're doing, and we need to learn from them what are some good approaches for suicide prevention as well. So they've, of course, uh, worked with not only us and a number of other suicide prevention organizations. So they, we have a sense of what can be helpful. A number of our centers uh, provide you know, what we call suicide loss survivor help. Um, many of them have access to resources and can tell you about what's available in their community and are there to help you or anybody that you're concerned about who may have lost someone to suicide. But let me give you a couple of other, I think, very important websites to check into. Save.org has a great coping section. Uh, That's Suicide Awareness and Voices of Education. Another one is the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention's website. That is AF as in foundation, SP, as in suicide prevention, .org, AFSP.org. Both of them have tremendous resources, including um, uh, not only things you can read, but also a list of, of support groups around the country. All right, and that was save.org and AFSP.org. .org, right. Good, okay. So a little bit more about we'd like to hear, do you see any trends nationally in suicide? I mean, do we track that stuff across the country, and does it mean anything to us? Well, we, we do. I, I have to say, I mean, it's been flat, really, for the last 20 or so years. Is I mean, there's good? a lot of, many of us believe that, and, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of slightly increasing with the population. While on one hand, you know, I think we have really brought what would be a much higher suicide rate 
down with resources like the Lifeline and a number of the things that our federal government is doing. But I, I think, you know, there needs to be more done in terms of removing access to, to, to lethal means right. and a greater promotion of some of the very promising suicide prevention approaches. And I, I have to say that one trend that is very exciting for us in our field is that more and more people are becoming aware uh, that suicide is preventable. There's a what we call the National Action Alliance for Suicide Prevention, which um, has uh, Secretary Sebelius um, in support of it, the Secretary of Defense and others, and Secretary of the Veterans Administration, uh, all are in support of the National Action Alliance, which is uh, promoting national strategies uh, and partnerships to prevent suicide around the country. Very nice. And, and it is preventable, and that's the big and good news, as you say. Yes. Why do you think people don't think it is preventable? Well, I think there's the, the belief that, well, there's two things. I, I think one is that, that there's the thought that if, if people really want to do it, they're going to do it, which is a fundal, fundamental misunderstanding of people. Um, it's a belief in choice and a belief in, in that I don't know what to do, so therefore nothing can be done, and, and which is fallacious. But what I think is, is really the case is that in many, case, in many circumstances, people are not aware of that core ambivalence. All they hear right. from people right. is, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. But what they don't realize is that somewhere in there is this fundamental desire to live. And that's true of just about everybody. That's our self-preservation instinct. And it takes a lot to overcome that. Right. So people at the core really do want to live, even though they're saying, you know, I'm, I'm done, this is too much. Right. But exactly. saying to them, Dr. Sophie, oh, you really want to live is not going not to say, oh, exactly. oh, no, I don't. But, you know, basically what you're saying, what you need to validate is you are in pain that you don't have the slightest idea what to do with and you don't see any end in sight. That doesn't mean that, they're, that, that they should die or they're going to die. Right. That means that, that that's exactly what they're experiencing, overwhelming, unbearable pain that they have no idea how to fix. Right. That doesn't mean there isn't a fix just because they don't know uh, and they don't see it now. It doesn't mean there won't be. Exactly. But that's what they're thinking at the time. Exactly. And the pressure doesn't have to be on the, on the listener because they can reach to bring them to the lifeline or to somebody that they want to talk to and not that's to feel right. the pressure to fix but to listen and connect. Exactly. So tell us a little bit about you and where we can find you and all of this great information. Well, you can uh, check the suicideprevention.lifeline.org site. Um, you can just do a Google search for National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. You can become a fan of ours on Facebook. Uh, we're, we've got a Tumblr and Twitter feed, and uh, there's a number of places that you can just go to our website and find out where we are in the social networking world. But there's a lot of ways to find us. That's our job is to get out there and, and find you, but hopefully you'll find us whenever you need us. Again, it's 24-7. You can't schedule a crisis, so exactly. we're here whenever you need us. That's wonderful. 1-800-273-8255 or 1-800-273-TALK. Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Dr. Draper, thank you for your time and expertise. Dr. Sophie, so many thanks for inviting me on this program. I Absolutely. appreciate it. Thank we'll you. have you back. Thank you. So on the line, we had Dr. Draper from the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255. We talked a lot about suicide, a lot about the statistics, a lot about the ways to work through it. When you're the listener, when you're the parent, or when you're the person who really feels that hopeless and helpless. So 
It was very interesting. We had some great voicemails. We had a live caller. And I think we answered a lot of questions that are probably going to be the typical and common question that people have from how do you know if somebody's just faking and what do you do if they're not? And how do you know if it's your child, if it's serious and you should go to the emergency room or do you what do you do? And Dr. Draper was able to really guide us through with some really practical advice. And at the end of the day, the pressure is off of any one of us to do something about it. But we do have the obligation to listen to somebody and guide them and connect them. And the connection can be simply to the suicide prevention lifeline or it can be to maybe the person that they feel most comfortable to talk. But it's validating and hearing them. And and his top three comebacks to when you're hearing somebody tell you that they want to die or they're suicidal or they shouldn't be here are that you at least acknowledge to that person that you hear them and you can understand what they're saying and how they're feeling. You may not have been in that situation yourself, but you do hear them and that you understand that they are in that kind of pain and that they're not alone. That's the biggest key. You're there with them. They're not alone. And then you can connect them. And the the safest and easiest and most effective connection for you if you're the listener or the person talking to them is the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-TALK. But one of the things that I think is very important from what I do is how do we tell if someone, especially a parent, if their child is quietly hiding this? Because as you remember from the beginning of the podcast, I said this oftentimes can be the silent mental health killer because you don't always know what's going on in the mind of your child or your adolescent and especially your teenager. As Dr. Draper alluded to earlier, teenagers' brains are are growing. There's a lot of hormonal influences. The brain isn't developed to the point where it can make good, thoughtful, judgmental decisions and to be able to understand the bigger picture of life. And as he said, how many times do we hear teenagers say, "Ah, oh, this is the worst day of my life. My life should be over. I can never go on again. All of those kinds of things that oftentimes we say are dramatic or we see in their behaviors, but we really don't know what's going on because, again, they're teenagers and they're not always going to want to open up and talk. So. If they're not verbal with you or you don't have that feeling of connectedness with your teenager or your child or adolescent, the things to look for are simple things. But if you check them and you look at them over a period of time, even if from day to day you check it out or week to week, you'll get an indication that there's something maybe you need to take a deeper look at. And and taking that deeper look may be asking your child questions or it may be taking your child to the doctor. But nonetheless, if you look at some key pieces of their life, you'll be able to get an idea of what to do. And those key pieces are the things that I call SWEEP, S-W-E-E-P. It's five key areas of your life that if you look at those areas, you'll be able to get an indication that something isn't working correctly, whether it's within you or your child. And the first one is sleep. Looking at your child's sleep pattern, has it changed? Are they not falling asleep as early as they used to? Or are they laying in bed for an hour or two? Or are they getting up early? Or are they getting up during the night? Or are they anxious and they can't turn their brain off because they may be worried about something? They may have been bullied. They may have failed a test. Or they may have been broken up with or someone they liked didn't like them back. Whatever it is, check out their sleep. It's a big indicator of what's going on in that brain, and it won't relax enough to go to sleep necessarily. And that would be a a difference from before, maybe a week, a month, a year ago, when they were sleeping. So sleep is a big key indicator. The W in sweep 
is for academics with a child. What are they doing all day in school? Has their schoolwork all of a sudden started to head down south and you've got a lot of failings or you have some academic problems? Look at those things. What's going on in those eight hours of the day? And that can tell you where your child is in their head. The E and sweep, the first one, is looking at their eating. Are they eating? Are they eating with you guys? Are you the family that used to eat together and now you can't even get your child to the table? Maybe they're not hungry. Maybe they're depressed because their appetite is and their appetite is decreased. Maybe they're overeating because they're anxious and they're emotional. Look at their eating and has that changed? Has the pattern of their eating changed? This is why it's critical to eat as a family, sit around the table on a regular basis and stay connected to your child. The other E in sweep is the emotional expression of your child. Has that dramatically changed? Has your child become quiet all of a sudden? Is it within the framework of adolescence and hormonal influences, or is this really a shutdown in your child's going inward? You want to look at that kind of stuff. You want to see, has your smaller child who used to toilet train well and was verbal is now screaming and yelling and acting out and having tantrums and not being able to use the bathroom properly? All signs of a significant change that may be going on inside of them that they're not able to tell you, but they are definitely showing you. And then the last issue to look at is the P in sweep, which is the play piece of it. And that means do they have any play dates? Are they making friends? Are they keeping their friends? Have they just lost a bunch of friends? Have they just lost their boyfriend or girlfriend? Were they bullied? What socially goes on for your child and has it changed? And that's an indication that maybe you need to take a deeper look. So those are the nonverbal behavioral kinds of things that you can look at in your child, yourself, or your family in general to be able to see if there's anything that needs to be taken care of. So again, it's SWEEP, S-W-E-E-P. You can learn more about it on my website at www.drsophie.com. So a lot of stuff we learned today. And yes, suicide is preventable, and we learned that as well. And that's a huge thing to understand. It is preventable. No matter what anybody's saying, they may want to die, they may have a plan, but at the core as Dr. Draper said, they do want to live. So the three things that he told us we need to do are to hear them, understand their pain, let them know we're there with them. We hear them. We got their pain. We know they're, they're not feeling well and that they're not alone. And then connect them to some type of resource. And don't feel the pressure that that resource has to be anything other than giving them simply the Suicide Prevention Lifeline number 1-800-273-8255, or maybe there's a doctor, or maybe there's a minister, or maybe there's a coach that will help out. But connect them to somebody because the more people they get to communicate to about how badly they feel, the quicker they will get back to that core of wanting to live. So again, suicide prevention, suicide, a very hot topic. Is Dr. Sophie, one eight five five sophie now You can catch me on my website at www.drsophie.com. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook. All the updates are out there. Get a copy of my book at Amazon.com. Any, any bookstore you go to, it's called Side by Side. It is the mother-daughter conflict resolution book. And again, who doesn't need that? Moms and daughters need to learn to communicate. And again, visit iTunes to download the full version of Andy Grammer's Keep Your Head Up, and please don't forget to sweep. But you gotta keep your head up, oh, and you can let your head down.